0: Hey everybody, welcome to That Triathlon Life Podcast. I'm Eric Lagerstrom.
1: I'm Paula Finley. I'm Nick Goldston.
0: And we are coming to you live from the Courtyard Marriott in Morgan Hill. We're all three on our single bed in the hotel room. So this is one of those wonderful podcasts. Where we're all in the same room. It's super intimate and <laughs> we're looking forward to it. Ooh, ah.
1: And you forgot to mention it's 9.15 p.m. That's and we're just starting.
0: Right. Well, we kind of had a full day because we, we flew into Morgan Hill last night. We got in about... 10 p.m., and then we woke up, we had time for a bagel sandwich, and then we went straight to the wind tunnel, and we have been there all day
1: long. Yeah, we were at the wind tunnel from 8.30 a.m. until like 7.30 p.m., went and got some Chipotle, and Nick had this genius idea that we should wait till Wednesday to record the pod.
0: Excuse you.
1: Because we'd all be together, and it would be more intimate. And here we are, committed to the Thursday drop. Um but yeah we're we're excited to be here. It's always a fun time, and we're gonna whittle this down to like be a little bit shorter than normal so we can go to bed at a normal time and uh we're gonna chat a little bit about what we did today, right?
2: Well, first of all, I feel like as someone who had not been to the wind tunnel before, I feel like we need to paint a picture of what it's like in there because it's I kind of thought it would be this like corporate office, and somewhere in there there's a wind tunnel. it's like this looks like some like off site military base airplane hangar. That they built this epic thing inside of, and there's nothing else in that structure. It's It's so epic.
1: They've kind of built like a room inside of a giant empty warehouse. And actually, that building at Specialized is where they make the purest bottles, and it's the wind tunnel. So it's like bottles and wind tunnel. And you walk into this huge warehouse feel building with like super tall ceilings, and then you go out in another door to get into the wind tunnel area. But the whole like, wind getting sucked through, I think, uh, the big warehouse feel is essential to that operating.
0: Yeah, the wind is actually circulating through the entire warehouse. Like the, t- the wind tunnel directs it. It's got these foils that make sure that the wind is going in a singular, like continuous direction. But like when they turn on those fans, the whole building, the whole building is yeah. essentially circulating. It's pretty wild. Eric, yeah. can you explain?
2: I've, I've just realized some people may not know what a wind tunnel, what the purpose of the wind tunnel is and why Specialized built one
0: yeah so um when you're doing bike things and um, for our purposes, how our position is going to be on the bike, how aerodynamic we are, uh, you want to test and find out exactly how you know how much drag that you have on your body, how much drag you have on your bike on your wheels, and all these things and over the course of of a two hour uh, seventy point three bike ride, especially if you're saving, 5 watts, or, you know, there's the coefficient of drag is the official number that they use, but we translate it into number of watts. If you're going, you know, half a mile an hour faster at the same number of watts because you're more dynamic, that's race changing.
2: So why wouldn't I just want to be lower, smaller with the fastest helmet?
0: Yeah. Um, so the the other half of what we do at the wind tunnel is, and what we did entirely today, is we actually went in and we looked at our fits and we looked at some different um, arrangements of our the front ends of our bars. So like how high our hands are, how high our elbows are and everything. And then we did some testing to find out if there were any penalties from going extremely low, metabolically speaking. So, okay, yes, you're incredibly bent over, but your, your heart is working way harder, your whole system is working way harder, so that could potentially cancel out the aerodynamic benefits that you would see.
1: So basically they take the metabolic data from today, which we did with the VO2 mask, all of that, and then the aero results from tomorrow and find the most optimal position, not just the most arrow position, like the position where your body is working the best and it has the best, um, the lowest drag numbers.
2: And then on top of that, are you going to do any like equipment testing, or is it purely just position versus metabolic? That's a great question, Nick.
1: Yeah, we have different helmets to try tomorrow. We have, um, we're only, we're for sure wearing the Castelli suit, so we're not going to test different race suits. But that one is fast; we've tested it before. Um, test different bottle positions and. The biggest thing we're here for is to test different front ends because we actually do have a couple different systems set up on the front of our bikes where we can try different heights, different widths, and then different bars all together, which we've already kind of fit today so we can easily swap them on and off tomorrow while we're doing the testing.
2: Something that I have found extremely interesting when I discovered this is that you would think, okay, at 40 kilometers an hour, there is a helmet that is the most aerodynamic. Mm -hmm. but. What the truth is actually much more complicated. It's that your whole body is like this one singular unit, and the helmet is just part of that. So yes, it matters a lot. But is that why you brought you have a few different helmets because you don't actually know which one is
0: going to be necessarily fastest in your position now? Yeah, totally. Yeah, it kind of depends on how much you look around when you ride, how good you are at holding your head in a single position, the angle of your back, a whole bunch of different things. So like the fastest helmet could for me could be the slowest helmet for you, Nick, based on the rest of your body.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's cool to, to yeah, be able to test that.
2: And do we want to talk about what they did today or do we want to wait till next week and and go through everything that, that we kind of learned from it?
1: I think t- next week we could do a little bit more of a dive into the results, but I just also want to say that I think that what I get excited about when I watch documentaries like drive to survive or anything is like the behind the scenes and what it's like at places like this. And I get so excited when I walk into a place like specialized and They've got like the feed zone, the super amazing cafeteria with all this organic, amazing food and Flora Duffy's bike is in the middle of it. And then you go upstairs to the gym and there's Woodways and all this beautiful top of the end gym equipment with a huge picture of Gwen Jorgensen on the wall. And like you're walking down the hallway and there's all these bikes, the actual bikes that like won the Tour de France. And I think that the whole environment of Specialized is just incredibly inspiring. Even for me, I've been there like five times now. It's really, really cool. The wind tunnel has a special feel to it. And it's not just a wind tunnel where anyone can go. It's like a specialized, specific place. And not a lot of, no other bike company has their own wind tunnel. So we're really, really grateful and lucky to be able to utilize this. And I think it's like a huge performance benefit. 100%.
0: Yeah,
2: I can't wait to see what what happens tomorrow because tomorrow's like the big show. It's like, the fans come on. The fans come yeah, on tomorrow.
1: Yeah. And we also want to give a, a huge shout out, even though he for sure doesn't listen to this podcast, but Jason Williams, he's a one of the best fitters um, with Specialized. He lives in Boulder, and we actually asked if he could come in specifically to help us with our fits, because we, we've worked with him before, and he's amazing. So yeah. he spent all day today there with us, and he'll spend all day tomorrow. He's away from his family. and. Yeah, just super grateful for the people here that are making this happen.
2: And then this is not even the only very exciting thing that's happened in the last week. No, it's not. And
1: this is like it's a, a little blip week. in the week. Yeah, yeah it's a crazy so week. So this
2: this week you guys put something out that Eric has been talking to me about for since I've known him.
0: I feel like Well, yeah, I mean Paul and I have both talked about it. I just I then talk to you about things or run things by you before I even tell Paul about them sometimes, but Um, we announced a TTL development team, uh, and, and what that boils down to essentially is, is we want to be able to support five, specifically five upcoming athletes who are trying to make it from being a top amateur or just being in their first year pro and trying to make that jump over to be, you know, what we've talked about before on the podcast, like an actual true professional athlete, making a living in the sport, And and, you know we've talked about how difficult that is, and we feel like now at the point that we've gotten TTL to that we can use this community and this platform that we've built to potentially help some people cross that gap successfully.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't happen in a year. Like I think that we're going to kind of like take this small group and nurture them. And the way that we're funding this project is through selling TTL try kits and cycling kits to TTL Nation, which is you guys. We've been asked so much over the years, like, are you guys going to make a try kit? Now's the time where we are. We're putting it out for pre pre sale on Friday, yep. and part of the or the thought behind that was that the development team will be funded by the profits from the sales. So by buying a kit, you're also helping the development team, and yeah, it's just kind of a cool like paying it forward, giving it back to the community, and we were really excited about it.
2: It's never been hard. The idea mm-hmm. of making a, a TTL race kit and selling it, the, the, the barrier wasn't that it was going to be hard. It was that you guys wanted to make it something really cool. And, and mm-hmm. Eric, I think, yeah. it, and both of you had this idea in the back of your heads that like, wouldn't it be cool yeah. if those sales somehow benefited the development team and yeah. like some young athletes. Yeah. That's what makes it great. Yeah. So if you're interested in the kit, know that it's, this is the the whole idea behind
0: it. You're like helping fund and fuel these athletes. Yeah. Yeah. And we're also going to have cycling kits and like you can do a top and bottoms tri-kit and then we'll even have a tech tee that we do. And we just like, we really want everybody who buys one to like when they see it and when they get it to just feel like they're part of something and like, ah, uh. and when you see one of these athletes like get their first pro podium or like qualify for the pro card, you're like, I was part of that. Yep. This yeah. is my yeah. team. These exactly. are my people. You feel
1: very part of the whole I don't know. Team. And
0: I just, I just get so fired up just even thinking about it and talking about it. I just think it's it's, it's super cool. So yeah. if you want to be part of that, if you want to race in a TTL tri-kit or or just a tech tee when you run, we'd be we'd be super stoked. And
1: Yeah. Just for timeline, we're going to put the pre-sale out tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Thursday. Um, and we've already gotten over 200 applications for this from potential development team athletes. Um, We got a lot to go through, but we're whittling it down already. And I think we're going to leave those open for like three or four more days. And then we'll start to like contact people next week um, who are super interested in. There's been some really, really amazing people. And I just want to say that like the response has been overwhelming to the point where I don't think I'm personally going to be able to go out and thank everyone for writing in and writing why they should be a part of it, but I truly appreciate like all the effort that has gone into these applications. and yep. um, Yeah, it's really, really touching and cool, and we really wish we could help everybody. But if we don't pick you, it's not because you weren't worthy. It's just that like we can only pick five.
0: Yeah, the, <laughs> so. the reason that we decided to keep it to five is we really want to have like a true impact on five people and be able to tell their story and and like let them text us or whatever you know like help them develop their personal brand and, and make yeah. it you know versus if we did 50 people we're not going to be able to like really totally get, give everybody the attention they deserve
1: yeah it's so. not the kind of like sponsorship or hell i mean we are going to support them financially but that's not where it ends i think that where we can really help people is where eric and i excel and nick in the uh not just social media but just like brand building and how to make yourself valuable and then you can go forward and when you get race results get your own sponsors so we'll start with like giving gear and stuff from our sponsors but ultimately we want them to like go off on their own when they're (laughs) (laughs) grown-ups
0: yeah it's something just to like wrap it up something that uh, back when i was this came up before but back when i was sponsored by red bull um, when I announced that, all of a sudden, I got a whole bunch of new inquiries from sponsors because it was just perceived as this thing that was, oh, this person just became valuable, and they've got they're going to have a platform that's going to be amplified, and I, I hope that we can create that sort of an effect at some point that like yeah. if you've come through our pipeline, that's like a little seal of a stamp of approval, and you know that there's going to be an audience there, and and maybe you know other doors will open. Yeah, cool. Speaking of supporting. TTL and
2: this whole thing. Special shout out, thank you to people who are supporting the podcast. Very, very, very grateful for that. It's, it's, it's funny how we have like the YouTube, the gear, the podcast, and like each one of them we put our heart and soul into. And I feel like we're very lucky that the people that listen and follow along are such diehard like yeah. Ride yeah. or dies. Sometimes
1: I'm like, How is this all working? And then I said today to Nick, like, Oh, it's because Eric literally works from <laughs> yeah. six AM to eleven PM every day. Like we're at we're having dinner, he's working. We're on the treadmill, he's working. Yep. I'm doing my bike fit, he's working. It's like it literally never stops. So if people are watching from the outside and thinking like How do they do it? That's how. It's just like <laughs> literally grinding.
2: Um, anyway. <laughs> so, so you can, you can support the podcast yourself and submit questions for the podcast at that triathlon slash podcast. And our first one here is kind of just like a palate cleanser. Uh, would you rather finish first in one race of your choosing and never finish top five again, or always finish second until you retire from Jason? Are we doing a whole round of Would You Rather? No, nope, so just, just, just one. Just oh wow! It's okay. a
1: really interesting question. I think I would rather just win one race of my choosing, mm. and then never top five again. Mm. Like win the Olympics.
2: Oh right, right and then right, right. that changes your
1: life, and then retire. <laughs> I, I would.
2: I would take second for sure. I want to really? be like if I'm still like fifty and sixty and like getting second in whatever some gravel race or some ultra. Yeah, I would feel great about that.
0: Yeah, I mean the thing is you. I guess it depends. Like you got to train to get those second yeah, place. Yeah, 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 You right, got to right. train until you're, right. you're 60.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. I will be
1: tired. Here's man. the thing as I experienced firsthand, you guys might not even remember this. I was second at the world championships this year. Dude, if no. I was the Wait, world really? Cha- if you? I was the world champion... <laughs> what do you mean, you guys? If, it would be, like, life-changing. Second place is like, okay, you don't even remember who was second. It I was remember who there. was second. Well, that's because- <laughs> she
0: said it right so next to me. I don't
1: know. It's such a bittersweet place to finish. I don't remember who was first. I don't remember who was second. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember who was second, third, and fourth. <laughs> right. Okay, okay. Yeah. But, yeah, what would you pick her?
0: Um... And never another top five? Yeah. yeah. I think I'd just go with a whole bunch of seconds.
2: <laughs> you mediocres. Yeah, well taken.
0: Ha- oh, I would be Well, happy. I guess Nick and I are coming from the point of where it's like, yes, I've won races, but I haven't been in the position of like you were in where you like won five WTSs in a row. And this is right. like getting second at a bunch of big races would still be huge accomplishment yeah for you're right for, to get second at world championships would be lifetime achievement. it yeah.
1: might be a better sustainable plan for like making income in the sport because you just constantly stay relevant and you're constantly ranked high and- well I
2: think that's what's what, what you're where you're coming from with it is you've already been constantly ranked high and uh, constantly relevant and now you just want that Olympic I want to win world like a big race yeah yeah yeah, yeah true cool okay well that was a nice little start but uh, yeah. next one here is it, I was gonna say it's from thanks but that's just how it ends um, <laughs> hey i question uh, question on post-workout fueling uh, we got the giggles well it is nine thirty <laughs> on the dot okay so I do intermittent fasting and normally do my morning workouts 5 a.m fasted, and then normally continue to fast until 11 o'clock. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Uh, I get enough calories in during the day during my eating window, but I'm wondering if I'm missing out on some recovery by not fueling immediately after my workout. I know you guys aren't nutritionists, but any insight you would have is helpful.
0: Thanks. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Thanks, thanks. thanks,
0: thanks. I I honestly don't know all the science between uh, fasting, but I have not heard anybody ever say anything but... Eat immediately after your workout. Yeah. And get that hit that recovery window. I'd
1: say you're for sure compromising recovery and not, yeah, I couldn't do it. I mean, if you like
0: really want to go back to fasting after that recovery shake or like whatever it is, I guess. But
1: here's what I think about intermittent fasting I think it's a good option for like your everyday healthy person, but like an athlete, exactly right. it doesn't work.
2: I just listened to a whole two-hour podcast about this, and yeah. that was the consensus. It's
1: like Huber, Huberman podcast. You listen to that, and you're like, wow, this guy is so zen and perfect and like very good to his body.
2: He's not training but 20 hours a week?
1: Yeah, I just don't think that a lot of the advice really transfers over to someone who's trying to like get the most out of their performance and fasting included. Um, uh, yeah. And I'll
2: tell you this for sure. Your body, if you're doing two workouts a day, you need to replenish carbohydrates for, for that second workout. Yeah, mm-hmm. and your body is very primed to reabsorb those carbohydrates after that first workout. Yeah, you're you waiting that long after it is for that's sure wild. For I think sure if you
1: I think if you want to fast, you could do like your first workout fasted. You know, so like don't eat in the morning.
2: Yeah,
1: and then do a base ride or an easy run without food.
2: Yeah, that's but then that's you, the thing too. It has to be low intensity, or or it's a huge toll on your yeah. body to do. High intensity fasted,
1: and then yeah. you eat after that.
2: Yeah, yeah. So,
0: like we experimented with this back with Paulo in like 2015, and even with like the low intensity first workout of the day, starting it pretty early, I still found it so so challenging to have a decent second workout of the day and forget a third workout. Yeah, and so we kind of abandoned it because of that.
2: It, yeah. it compounds too. Like yeah. the more days you do it, the more you're just digging this hole yeah, deeper. Exactly.
1: Yeah. I would say uh, though, if you just pound some ketones after, you'd probably be fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, every time I have ketones for breakfast uh, I have to a, eat till dinner A little sarcasm there, I
2: don't know if you guys could uh, sense it <laughs> um, Okay, well there you go Definitely, I mean, I guess If you're feeling good, that's fine But you are probably leaving Some performance on the table By doing this Next question is from Derek Enjoying the season prep videos and content you all are producing And had a bye question for everyone But mostly Eric I have an old bike, Scatante XRL, circa 2006, with manual Ultegra groupset that was a project bike I built in high school 15 years ago. It was my triathlon bike then, and now I'm getting back into the sports and will be the bike I use this summer for some sprints, as I have no alternative. I think an upgrade is necessary as bike tech has increased so much, but I am having difficulty parting ways with this project bike and figuring out what to do with it. This seems especially relevant, but do you have emotional connections to certain bikes? And if so, what do you do with them? And then also, when should someone upgrade the bike they have with new gear versus just buy bike? a new bike? Oh, I see. Right. Exactly.
1: Thanks, David. Derek, Derek. Derek. Wow, it's really weird sitting beside you as you're reading the questions because I'm just like, I could just jump in.
2: You want to do the next one? <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> you no. Do no, no. An that
1: would feel wrong. Um, I kind of like this question in terms of like, when would you take an take an old bike and use the frame and just upgrade the components versus just buying a, a, a new bike altogether? Yeah. Like if it's a carbon frame, like has the geometry changed that much? Have within? aerodynamics
2: even changed yeah. that much?
1: If you're putting on like SRAM ETAP instead of whatever old Altiger manual shifting you had.
0: Yeah, I mean, if if you're going for ultimate budget conscious decision, you can upgrade the parts, but you are always going to get a significantly better deal on new parts if you buy the yeah, whole bike as a package. That's like, true. Like just the thing, the one that I can remember is like a Cervelo P2 from back in the day when I was working in the bike shop. Like a full Ultegra group set would cost you like three thousand dollars, and they were offering the Cervelo P2 with like mostly Ultegra group set for like twenty eight hundred dollars.
1: Yeah, you're so like, it's always cheaper. The frame was
0: like free, or the groups that was free, yeah. like however you want to look at it. So if if you're like really, really trying to scrape by and pinching pennies, then yes, you can upgrade just the components and it's fine. But
2: I'm also thinking about what about like spacing that changes, like dub spacing yeah. or like, you know, eleven yeah. speed versus ten speed over versus
1: twelve speed. Yeah, that stuff changes, yeah.
0: It does yeah, it does change, but um I think there's there's still probably a healthy amount of adapters and type stuff out there that you can depending on the bike. Um.
1: To answer the first question, I think that it's kind of cool when people take an older frame that they're attached to and turn it into a single speed commuter or something like that.
0: Mm.
1: Because you might not get much for it if you're taking it to like consignment or resell it. But if it has sentimental value and it's a cool bike, I think there's still life in it for being kind of a beater bike, commute around, whatever, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I have not been in the position up until recently to like, necessarily just hang on to sentimental bikes. So I've, I've sold bikes that I've won big races on and stuff. But, um, I also haven't ever had a custom painted bike that was like so unique. Yeah. Paula, that's what I was, I was thinking.
1: Yeah. Like I'll never get rid of that Shiv tri bike that they painted me ever. Right. Like I'll hang on to that, hanging on the wall, whatever. I still have the bike that I won Daytona on. That was a custom painted bike.
0: I think you still have your Olympic bike.
1: I still have my Olympic bike from Specialized, like the neon orange. It's w- in my parents' basement.
0: I
2: wouldn't get rid of those yeah. them for no reason.
1: So I totally get the sentimental bike thing. And I personally get sentimentally attached to all of my bikes, but it's not really feasible to never get rid of them. But whenever I sell a bike, it's always like through word of mouth to a friend of a friend or or a friend. And I know it's going to a good home and they're going to use it and they're going to send me pictures of it being used. And I feel good about that.
0: Yeah. Totally.
2: Um, next question here is from Andy. Morning all. Firstly, thank you for making such a positive impact on the triathlon community. This is Andy, Andy. Really? Oh, yep. Wow. I have two questions, which tie... No, not
1: that Andy, but Andy McKinley.
2: Oh. Andy, okay. Andy the swimmer Andy? with Andy? an I. Yeah. Got it. Um, I have two questions, which tie in nicely with the recent launch of your TTL development team. <laughs> if you could go back in time, what advice would you give yourself during your first year as a pro? Second question, with the cost of equipment, travel and racing, et cetera, being so high, is it advisable to set up an LLC to offset some of the cost? Keep doing what you're doing, Andy. It's interesting, that second question, I feel like...
1: I don't know. It stresses me out. Uh.
2: Well, it's like...
0: offset the cost I don't think that's so, the
2: point necessarily but anyway go go ahead I think I think what
0: you're <clears throat> thinking about is about uh, setting up an LLC to offset the cost is I think you're thinking of a S corporation flow through entity where rather than taking 100 percent 10.99 contractor pay you pay right. you pay the contractor pay goes to the business and then the business pays you a paycheck and then you avoid a small percentage of self-employment tax on those like outrageously high taxes on contractor pay. Right. It's not necessarily about. The,
1: <laughs> is this dressing me out, you guys? It's too late for it's this. It's not
0: necessarily about the LLC versus the flow through style of an S corporate right. which
1: is what we do. So, yeah, I guess it's better. Yeah,
0: but we also just set this up last year, so it took us quite a while to get to the point. <laughs> and there is like kind of a break-even mm-hmm. point. I think it's around it's around somewhere between sixty. It's around sixty thousand dollars where it becomes worth the additional tax, like. How much money it costs to uh, set up that S corporation yeah, and pay an free. accountant yeah. and all that stuff? So it's not like, oh, I'm making ten thousand dollars. I need to set up an S corporation, yeah. to get all fancy. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: And then the the first one. What advice would you give yourself as a first year pro? Um, I don't even remember. What well, I think maybe pros. let's let's contextualize it as if you were a first year pro in 2023.
0: I mean, like, wh- wh- when people ask me, like, hey, what should I tell my kid who wants to be a pro or whatever? Usually what I tell them is, like, do you want to be a professional triathlete so badly that you're willing to, like, go down this pathway of potentially never making money? You're, like, you at least have several years of making very little to negative money and having nobody care at all before you maybe break through and have, like, a race that people care about? And if you just, you love the lifestyle and you love the idea of training and make yourself better and the whole thing that much, then go for it. But do not get into it thinking it's like going to be this glamorous thing because that is an if and it's typically a long timeline. I feel like
2: there are so few people that are fully surviving comfortably off of being a pro triathlete.
0: Yeah, it's it's really tough. And then on like just like the way that the current landscape is with social media and branding and all that stuff, I would just say like really kind of sit down and think about what makes you unique and what you can bring to the sport, what you can bring to any potential sponsors in terms of adding value to them. So like don't go to a sponsor and be like, "What can I get from them?" rather than, "What can I bring to the table for them and why would that hmm. make them think that this is a good investment?" and kind of lean into those things. Like if you're if you're really funny, make that part of your core thing, lean into that a little bit and you know, be forward with that.
1: Yeah, I would say a lot of this is like money sponsor focus, but in terms of just being an athlete, I think you're never going to break through unless you have good race results. And yeah. to do that, you have to train smart. You have to have a good coach that you trust, you have to have transparency, you have to listen to your body. Like these are all things that I kind of had a backwards trajectory where I started really good, then had a tough time, then came back up. But during the tough times, that's when I really learned a lot of lessons about really managing my body, listening to myself when I know I should take time off or if I'm injured or if I'm not getting my period, all these different things that you just like have to manage if you want to be an athlete for a long time. Yeah. And that they can, when you're doing well and you're winning races, it's easy to kind of... Let that stuff slide. So I'd say stay on top of that.
2: Yeah, great. Next question. I team love the podcast. Just started wearing on running shoes after having been a long time Nike Pegasus wear, and noticed that much like Paula, my ankle and feet pain have dis- disappeared. Crazy, amazing. Love that. Love both the Cloud Stratus and Cloud Monster. Paula, what are the On shoes that you wear regularly? In addition, now that you have the On sponsorship, how about some TTL branded On gear? <laughs> yeah, very nice. Have a great day.
1: Yeah, On doesn't do, um, you can't brand On gear. It's just like one of the million things that makes On cool. <laughs> it's yep. like their branding is pretty subtle most of the time. Their stuff is beautiful. They're not going for like, make the logo as big as possible. You know? Like some people are, um, I use the Cloud Stratus almost exclusively. I love that shoe. I started with the Cloud Monster, and I still wear it sometimes. But I find the Cloud Stratus just like fits my foot a little bit better. It's less soft and cushiony, so I can kind of like I wear the Cloud Stratus for some tempo runs, even even though it's like far from a tempo shoe, quote unquote. But I got a pair for Eric, and he prefers the Cloud Monster. So I think both are very similar in a lot of ways. But for my feet, the Cloud Stratus works. And I, I only included this question because I literally get five or ten people a week asking what shoes I wear. And when you see a picture on Instagram, it's not always obvious which one it is, but it's the Stratus.
0: Yep.
2: And Eric, you've been wearing the Monster every now and then?
1: He only wears Ons I pretty now. much
0: only wear the monsters now. <laughs> I do. I have some cloud stratus and I like the cloud stratus. I'll usually wear those when I run on the treadmill or when I do a little bit faster workout. Yeah. Just because like the treadmill seems so kind of like squishy as it is. I don't think I need the extra squish of the monster, but yeah. like I can run on the cloud monster on pavement, which we've been having to do a fair bit of lately because the trails have been icy or squishy yeah. and feel pretty, pretty okay. Which yeah. Is great. I would
1: say that if someone is like running exclusively on pavement, like Nick, you kind of do most, most yeah. pavement. The monsters a really good shoe, and I can run on that and feel almost like artificially I'm on a soft trail. Uh, right, right. Just because right, right. of the shoe, yeah, which mm. is cool. I've never had a shoe like that. Like with Nike, the Pegasus, the React, all those never felt like this. Well,
2: let me ask you guys: when you first were running, how how were shoes different? In what ways were they different? How how different was the cushioning? Less cushioning.
1: <coughs> like oh my gosh, I saw a picture of me winning a race. Like the PTO has been doing these like. Bringing back to Throwbacks. life. Yeah. And the shoes that I'm wearing, it looks like someone photoshopped the picture and cut off the sole oh, of my shoe. Because it's like yeah. a sock, you know? It's Old like. Ray
0: shoes back in the day Yeah. Where just, just flats.
1: It's just as light as possible. Literally that was just the mindset. A sole. Yeah. Just not even, yeah. Just a top. Just like,
0: just like the rubber. It was just like the rubber <laughs> that touches the road. It was also touching your fabric. Touching. No yeah. midsole. Yeah.
1: No wonder I got stress fractures every other week.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well,
2: there you go. That answers that question. I guess what's and for all. Next question is from Olivia. Hey, TTL. This question is about hashtag snacks, spelled S-N-A-X, which we appreciate. So it's important. I'm wondering what each of your favorite go-to snacks are. I train two to three times a day with a full-time job, so I often leave the house at 6 a.m. for the pool and don't get back until 7 or 8 p.m. after the evening workout. I can never manage to pack enough food, and I always end up catching up with three bowls of cereal late at night. Sounds like you, Eric. Yeah. I also get bored of the same snacks all the time, i.e. rice cakes and peanut butter. So I'd love to hear what you guys eat for some inspo. While I'm at it, what's y'all's favorite cereal? Olivia.
1: Such a good question.
2: First of all, let's is cereal. Mine is honey bunches of oats. Eric has a cocktail.
1: Yeah, Eric likes to mix.
0: Uh, yeah, I like Quaker oatmeal squares for the most part. I think my favorite is the brown sugar kind. I like to typically do like Quaker oatmeal squares and then sometimes I'll do like a little bit of life or something and then like top with some granola for some crunch. Yeah. And and raisins.
1: And I buy Eric whatever's on sale, so that's what he eats. Yeah. yeah. Good. I just I like
0: a lot of different mouthfeels. Yeah.
1: <laughs> he loves uh, and like I do a good
0: mouthfeel. I try to go for like the lowest sugar content cereal possible. So and then, I then I eat- top
1: it with a sload f- of granola. No. <laughs> Just kidding. I I
0: honestly do not. I top it with very little granola because I know Paula is like massively stingy with the granola and hates that I eat it on my cereal. God forbid. Meanwhile, scooping three peanut, but three spoonfuls of peanut butter into her oatmeal. So
2: that's what I was hoping you guys talk about is the peanut butter consumption in your household. Yeah. How many, how long does it take to go through a standard size jar of peanut butter? Oh
1: oh my gosh, I have such a a fun segment for this. It's not a segment. Flora Duffy, uh, her husband (laughs) husband Dan has a nut butter company, her and her husband, um, in South Africa, and they sell it in the US now. It's called Butternut. And she sent us like 12 jars of this stuff. It's so good. And one giant, huge jar of like regular peanut butter, and then the little jars are. Like macadamia hazelnut and chocolate hazelnut and like all Uh, these amazing combos. So huge thank you to Flora for sending us that. But we went through the big peanut butter jar in like
0: a week and a half. Yeah.
1: Oh my gosh. Like way too short of a time. How big is it? Um it's like it's like big.
2: It's like (laughs) would you say it's like two regular peanut butter? Maybe three. Yeah, maybe three. That's yeah, that's impressive.
1: Yeah, because Eric has a peanut butter sandwich, I eat it by the spoonful. But that would probably be our, like...
2: That's your go-to snack. It's, a, it's Let me, a high From the outside, colo- you guys love, love, love peanut butter. Yeah, it's a very high calorie-dense food. Calorie I, would, dense I wouldn't
0: say it's my go-to snack, though. No? No, I have it in a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like, I'll go through phases where I'll have it on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich every other day for, like, a month. Mm-hmm. And I won't do it at all oh, okay. for a month. But, like, my go-to snack is is crackers and hummus. Mm. Like, I just... And I it's like the saltiness of it. Like, almost every yeah. time of the day, I can super get down on that.
1: What I'm thinking about when I hear this question is like flashbacks to university when I would also leave the house at 5 a.m., swim, go to school all day, go to track, get home at eight, and pack food for that entire day. And I think the key to that was calorie dense things. So I would often take like,
0: it was like trail mix.
1: It was like this Ensure stuff that was like high calorie for people that were like in the hospital, basically. <laughs> and I'd drink that after swimming just because I had so many calories. I love it. And, uh, Peanut butter sandwiches, like bread, and I would say replacing rice cakes with bread might be a good option just to get more calories. Because if you're coming home hungry, it just means that you haven't like balanced the calories throughout the day, and making it all up before bed might compromise your sleep that or something. Not it's just the way to go. It's not as healthy of a way to do it, but I I do understand the challenge here because it is hard to pack enough things. So I would say like a bag of mixed nuts that are salted is a good thing to snack on throughout the day. Um, like we've already talked about peanut butter. Hummus and crackers are really portable. You can just like put hummus in a little Tupperware and take a giant bag of crackers. And you can also take a bag of carrots and a bag of snap peas and like eat the hummus with that. Yeah. We really like picky bars in terms of like a natural feeling bar because a lot of bars have a lot of crap in them. And I think picky bars are actually like really good ingredients and easy to take with you.
0: That really checks the cookie box for me too.
1: Sometimes more oh, really? cookie. The it p- feels like a, they're a little yeah. sweet. The yeah. mouth yeah. feel is similar. Yeah. yeah, I would also take like dark chocolate, like pieces of dark chocolate with me. But we, I was exercising a lot, so I think that I like needed this. But it sounds like this person is too. right? Well,
2: I mean, just to give a little context here, on the bed that we're on right before we started recording, there was a chocolate bar and peanut butter that were being used in tandem as a cocktail as well. <laughs> Well, I mean, so there's time for somebody everything. was thinking about it. Yeah. I'm not sure it actually happened. <laughs> but like, Nick, do allegedly. you have any? Do you
1: have any favorite snacks?
2: I my, my problem is if I have anything sweet in my house, it's the first thing I eat. It doesn't yeah. matter what time of the day it is. So I try not to have that kind of snack around mm-hmm. when I'm hungry in the middle of the day. My go-to is Greek yogurt with granola.
1: Oh, I love Greek yogurt. That's mm. kind
2: of my go-to snack.
1: And you can take that on the go as well because Greek yogurt. If you put it in like a little lunch bag or have mm-hmm. like a little frozen pack thing. That can stay cold and then just put granola in with it.
2: Yeah. Keep it separate until you actually use yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, Love that.
1: That's a really good idea. Yeah. Cool. I could talk about this question more.
2: <laughs> <I could> t- <laughs> we're very passionate about- uh, Should <laughs> we go get we- froyo or what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, guys, our hearts were broken. As we were pulling in, we saw this place called Yes Yogurt or something. And we yeah. were so ready for it. Turns out it's no yogurt <laughs> on like it whatever day of the week it is closed. right now. It's it was close. so close. <laughs> Um, Yeah. Well, I'm glad somehow this podcast stopped us from venturing out and getting yogurt somewhere else. So Mm. maybe tomorrow we'll reward ourselves with some. For sure we will. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. Next question is from Reed. Sub TTL crew getting excited for race season. I have no doubt you will be out there crushing it. Hope to get a chance to say hello at PTO US Open in August. I love the pod, the tube, the gear and the lifestyle. Triathlon has been a saving grace for me personally. and gives me a whole new challenge. Anyways, my f- question was about Strava monthly fitness number. Do you have any sense of how accurate that number might be compared to the overall tracking you might be doing? I noticed on big efforts it will jump up a lot, and then if, I, if I'm in a recovery time, it drops. Even though it says fitness and recovery added up over time, so while we have so much data from Apple, Garmin, Wahoo, etc., wondering if this data is helpful for managing fitness load... Mm. If you have any thoughts on this, I would love to know. Stay safe and rad, and hopefully warmer soon. As a fellow Oregonian, I am ready for winter to be over. From Reed.
1: Cool. Thanks, Reed. That's a good question. Um, so I look it's this- like rolling his eyes over there. No, I,
0: the the monthly. I just fit- don't know. I like I actually did <laughs> click on this monthly fitness thing <laughs> on accident the other day and was trying to figure out what it was. And it's very it stressful. Anything. But like, yeah. Anyway, I don't know. I really don't know.
2: It. it- I looked it up, and it it track. If you have a power meter and you have heart rate data, it uses those and it uses their little algorithm to track a fitness score.
0: Assume it's like an acute like fatigue and like
2: workload over time. So they have. If you look into their like fitness and freshness page, they have like fatigue, form, and fitness Mm -hmm. on Strava. On Strava, which not even Training Peaks. Training Peaks has the same thing in their own language, but it's supposed to. I think it's a very. Rough way to try to account for your overall training load. Yeah. yeah. I think my sense is you should very much be informed by how you're feeling first. Yeah. And use this as kind of a very broad strokes tool. I can say that personally, when I compare what it thinks my fitness is compared to how I've actually raced, it has been, it has deviated from that quite a bit.
1: Yeah, agree. Quite
2: a few times. So it's definitely not the last word on it.
1: And also, yeah. I think it can be a little bit of a dangerous tool. If you get negatively affected by it, saying you're decreasing your totally. fitness in a recovery week, that's not cool because you're supposed to take your recovery weeks easy. And then if you're seeing like a negative two, negative one on your overall trend, it's just that can get to your head, you know?
2: Yeah. And a, and, a, and since it's not a really hyper accurate tool to begin with, yes. the fact that it can potentially do damage just seems like.
1: Yeah. Like long story short, I don't pay any attention to it. But every now and then, like Eric said, when he goes and clicks on it or I go click on it, I'm like, oh boy.
2: Yeah, I think it can be what used as a rough and that's tool. That's it.
1: And I think you're right, Nick, about having to do heart rate with it because I don't upload my heart rate on Strava, so yeah. I think that might cause it to not be correct if, either.
2: If you don't have heart rate, then it apparently will go off of perceived exertion, but then you also have to put that in. Which Otherwise, I don't, yeah. Like, it's, it's just, I remember before I had a power meter, it would give me estimated power first Strava segments yeah it's like okay what if it's windy what if I'm in a pack yeah what if I'm yeah. l- it's like a million things that can be a little bit off so it, it probably it has the best intentions but I feel like it's just it's the body's too complicated to break it down in such a simple metric and go off
1: yeah of it. yeah
2: totally uh next question is from Susan hi all your podcast always makes me smile the love and respect between the three of you is so evident and you're all funny we 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 are pretty funny. Yeah,
1: I know, at least we think we're funny.
2: Love, respect, and funniness. That's, yeah. Those are core values. Great, you're fired. That's great. <laughs> um, questions. One, Paula, can you share with us how you use the lever to recover from the foot injury, please? For example, did you gradually start running outside or increase the weight on the lever or both? Just got one, love it, and recovering from Achilles injury.
1: Yeah, I put this in there not necessarily to reference my ankle injury that never ends, but... I actually had a little injury scare two weeks ago with my shin. I had like a shin splint feeling on my right shin. And I had shin splints back in the day, like when I was a swimmer and I just started running and I know distinctly what they feel like. It's like a pain on the inside of the bone almost. And all the Googling and stuff I did about it, it's very hard to distinguish a shin stress fracture from a shin splint. So I started panicking and assuming the worst. I have a stress fracture in my shin. This is terrible.
0: It was a real fun week. So
1: (laughs) that week, after getting a massage, getting a lot of work on it, getting my physio to work on it, and taking two days off running completely, I ran exclusively on the lever for a week. And then a week later, ran on the ground, and it was gone. It was like all better. So to me, the lever is just like, such an invaluable tool to have for a relatively low price point compared to something like an Ultra G to use for reasons like this. If you have a scare, you have an injury thing coming on, it just gives you that peace of mind to know that the load is off. I can stop anytime I want. I can ease back into things after running. So not a good thing necessarily to use every single day when you're not injured, but for injury stuff or just like decreasing load when you're fatigued, it's an amazing tool.
2: And just for people who may not know what the lever is, oh yeah, uh, it's a tool that mounts on top of your treadmill and through a series of elastic bands will lighten the load uh, on your feet when you're running. So it allows you to still run at certain speeds and have leg turnover without having to incur the pounding that, that your body yeah. weight puts on you.
1: It's like a really strong bungee system that holds you up with the special shorts and the tighter you make it, the more it holds you up. So you're kind of suspended.
0: And Eric, you've used it too, right? A little bit. I mean just when, when just you you first it, got it just to see what it was like basically. Yeah. I can see using it for some like specific overspeed workouts if I just like really want to get the leg turnover like you said. Um, but I think it's like important to note that Paula started using this when it, her shin started to feel a little off. It wasn't like broken. I can't walk. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Let me pull this thing out. So, I think that's like the total value of it and if I had something that was like that, was like, "Mm, I've felt this before and I'm like 4 days out from this becoming a real thing yeah integrate the lever but also integrate rest this is just a good lesson in general yeah Even outside of the lever don't wait
2: until it gets really bad I'm yeah. so
1: proud of myself for not waiting until it got really bad yeah. me too and
2: look now look, <laughs> I'm fine and look, you, it worked yeah.
1: amazing I had those like nights where I was just up thinking like oh my god I have a stress fracture i oh
2: my god yeah but I didn't yeah yeah
0: no.
1: that's the worst oh,
2: thank god I don't think I could have emotionally handled
0: it. Yeah. I was pretty psyched actually because I was running on the treadmill and I was thinking, as soon as I get off this treadmill, I'm putting the lever on this treadmill so that it's here so <laughs> she can use it. And you walked in within like three minutes of me finishing my run and we're like, can you put the lever on the treadmill? Boom. It's like, amazing. Amazing. That is amazing. Yes. Amazing. Of course. Yeah. For
1: a while, we just had it <laughs> off because I was, I hate the treadmill. I don't want to run on the treadmill. So if I'm not injured, I don't want to use it. But, I knew I needed to use it, so Eric set it up, and now it just kind of lives on there.
0: Amazing. Just in case, the barrier to using it is is zero. Yeah. So yeah. often that's the case, right? Yep. Just yeah, like
1: just setting it up. Yep. It doesn't even take long to set up, but
2: great. Well, last <laughs> last question here. We are really we're sticking to our guns here. Susan, Susan have one
1: more sh- question? It's a really oh, sorry, good one. Oh, sorry,
2: sorry, sorry. Yes, yeah, sorry. And this it's a, it's a quick answer too. Right. Um, Eric, for older age group, fifty to sixty women, but accomplished triathletes. Would you recommend a try or road bike for Alcatraz? Good and question.
0: I'll also add on, why? Uh, I was really trying to figure out how this was a good question for me. Well, <laughs> You yeah, start up yeah. for 60, 50, 60 women. It's like, like I don't, okay. <laughs> um, I think I would go with a road bike for yeah. sure. So would I. Yeah, it's just- it's, it's like one of
2: the very, very, very few triathlons that a road bike is the better option, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, you, you come out of transition, you've got like maybe a mile and a half before you start climbing very steep and then you go very steep down and then very steep up and then very steep down. With a lot of technical turns. A lot of technical turns. There's like legitimate spots where you could rock it off a cliff if you lost control. And then you have a little section in the golden gate park, which I think is like 10 K maybe eight K where you can ride arrow. And that's why I ride the TT bike. And, but the rest of it, like you'll be so much more comfortable and so much more confident on a road bike. And I would go with like 30 c tires if you can
1: and just Would like, you put clip-on bars on?
0: I I mean, I, you can. Just for the Golden Gate Yeah, thing. you can put them on for the Golden Gate thing, but if you don't have them, I wouldn't stress about it. Like That race is so fun and cool, and your experience is only going to be negatively impacted by being on a bike that you don't feel totally confident on. Yeah. By the way, just for context, Eric won this race last year, and
2: it won it in 2018? Uh, 15. 15,
0: yeah.
1: I think that pro women have won the race on a road bike before. So it is, like, possible to have a really good time there. I'm time.
0: Com- I'm confident a pro man has it as well at some uh, point in time.
1: Yeah. I'm just thinking I can, like, distinctly remember who. Definitely
0: women. Yeah, have, yeah. 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 Cool. I think, I think, did Heather or Sarah True?
1: I think maybe, like, Lindsay Jardonic.
0: Hmm.
1: I don't, remember. I don't it's, remember. It's, like,
0: totally 50-50. And last year it
2: rained, too, so an even, even mm-hmm. better day to have a road bike that you <laughs> yeah. feel comfortable on. Totally. Yeah. We were so cold watching you. So cold. <laughs> Um, okay, last question here.
1: Uh, it's also a good course for disc breaks.
2: <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> Highly recommend. <laughs> definitely uh hi all big fans since the first episode recently bought a specialized diverge from watching the vlog and a new pair of on running shoes are on their way as i type this question <laughs> is this you're our favorite yes yeah thank you <laughs> my question is this i grew up doing track cycling in high school where it was ingrained in me to always put power on the pedals with both legs pushing down or pulling up simultaneously on the pedals which works great on fixed gear bikes. But I'm wondering if this counterproductive if this is counterproductive in triathlon where I imagine you want to use one set of muscle group to pedal on the downstroke only for instance and save another set of muscle groups for the run. Am I making this up? Take care and keep up the good work. Philippe from
0: Laurel. Um this is definitely I feel like this is kind of an old school train of thought and th- more of what I've heard lately is that it doesn't necessarily work that way with your legs. Um, you kind of need a lot of the same muscles to run that you need to bike with and just thinking like, oh, I'm going to do such a thing that makes it so that I only Sate use my it. hamstrings yeah. and I only use my quads here rather than like just total body fatigue. It's it's You're you're better off to be in a, in a good position to be cycling effectively, probably not thinking about it too much, yeah. and then just – be fit enough to like run well off of that. Something else I remember hearing that then I think was disproved
2: was this idea that you should be applying equal amount of power at any point in the pedal stroke. It's like, you're, of course you're going to be putting more power down when you're in the power stroke of your pedal stroke. I think there was this idea once like, no, you need to be circular pedaling, like really pulling
0: up a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That was also like early 2000s type of thinking. And it makes sense. If you could just like perfectly distribute the workload across all of your muscles beautifully and like nothing in particular would get tired any faster than anything else, that'd be great. But we're not robots. And they're just like the, the last I checked, the, the fastest time trial cyclists out there have incredibly powerful downstrokes. Down, right. It's not this beautiful, perfect thing like you would like some people would have once thought.
2: How yeah. often do you guys think about
0: pulling up? I don't think back? about it ever. No, um, the only time I ever think about pulling up maybe is like, while well, I'm sprinting same. as hard as I can. Yeah, same. same. It's just the sprint.
1: And then a lot of that is like ankle flexion coming up. Yeah. yeah. It's not even just like your hip flexors pulling up, it's your feet doing it.
0: Yeah. It's and it's m- that's more of just a, like a necessity to get your feet, your foot back around the pedal stroke. The turner, yeah, like yeah, exactly.
1: It's kind of a satisfying feeling to like whip your ankle up and have it back in the position to like smash down.
0: Yeah. But anyway. it's, it's certainly like... I wouldn't say that's like metabolically the most efficient. Yeah. Anything, but it's, it's like if you're trying to go as hard as you possibly can, everything's getting turned on. This yeah.
2: this makes me think of, uh, I've been thinking about this concept a lot because my friend, um, I'm friends with this marathoner, David, and he's a he's a fast marathoner, two, sub-230 marathon, and we're going to do a Zwift ramp test with him mm. and me and a couple other friends. Yeah, right. So, and I'm really curious to see him who has, uh, he is, I'm sorry, David, absolutely atrocious on a bicycle. We went on a bike ride once. (laughs) He could not go like seven or eight miles an hour without feeling like it was like overwhelming or something. So we're going to get him off the road. Thank God. (laughs) Yeah. And for (laughs) everyone's sake. (laughs) Yeah. And on a Wahoo kicker trainer and do a ramp test and see what this FTP comes out to. Because he's really, really strong. He has multiple hundred mile weeks in a row. He's fit. He's very fit. But it's this concept of—I mean, I've experienced this in races too, where I'm biking faster than someone that looks like similar body composition to me, and then we get off the bike, and they are running a thousand times faster than I am. It's like these these movements seem so similar, you mm-hmm. know? Like 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 he's saying, the movements feel like okay, you could save some muscles for this other thing, but I think in the end they are quite different, and people can be so much better at one or the other, even yeah. though it's
1: technique, it's so many things,
2: so many things, yeah. yeah.
1: It's what you've done more. Obviously, David's done a lot more running. <laughs> I wonder, and
2: you've talked about this before, both of you talked about this before, I wonder if it's also like how much suffering you're willing to endure per sport.
1: That's what I think about yes. him on the bike is like, I think you'll have a hard time getting on the bike for a ramp test and going to the zone of pain on the bike that's required. It's different. It's different. Yeah. Different than running.
2: And my friend Kathleen, who's now, he, she was a marathoner and she's getting into triathlon now. She can't mm-hmm. figure out a way to push as hard on the bike as she does in the run. Because mm-hmm. I think it's such an aerobic effort on the run and yeah. on the bike. There's much, it's much more, it's, a lot it's more localized. It kind of burns. Yeah, yeah, it burns.
1: I would say it sucks way more to go hard on the bike. It's more like, more yeah, it's more like doing a bunch
0: of squats than yeah. it is like jumping jacks.
1: yeah. Oh my god, going hard on the bike is the hardest thing on earth.
0: Especially when you're down in TT, I think. Yeah, you just feel even harder and than and the close. swim.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: This is a swim for me. I was like, oh, I'm simultaneously drowning, yeah. <laughs> suffocating to death. <laughs> right. No, wow. but
1: at a certain point, you just can't go harder. Well, on the bike, I always feel I can go harder. That's true. You just like <laughs> you just like hit <laughs> ultimate <laughs> failure on the swimming a little
0: bit. Yeah,
2: yeah,
1: quicker.
0: Well, it's
2: feel like on the on the swim,
0: like you can just feel like your arms just
2: don't like they're just dead at a certain point your legs get pumped out yeah Yeah. that's
1: right (laughs) that's right it feels good last friday we did 2100s hard uh, on 130 and then later in the day we had four by eight minutes hard on the bike and it's the first time i've ever said to eric like i think i'd rather do the 2100s again than do this bike ride just because i think the bike hurts so much oh my gosh what would you rather do uh
2: four by eight for
1: sure on the bike
2: yeah, I've done 20-100s
0: before. Four by eight on the bike on the trainer. <laughs> no, yeah. No, 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 I'd rather do the swimming. No. <laughs> that's no, that's, transport yourself to Bend, yeah. Oregon. No, that's where the, the ground is a uh, hockey rink. Although I am excited to do the Zwift ramp test on the trainer. <laughs> yeah.
2: With, with friends there. Because it's over in like on. 30 well, you've, seconds. You've made
0: it into a thing. Yeah. It's now yeah. a
2: thing. Yeah, it's a thing. It's <laughs> yeah. a thing. I want to try to get a few other friends over and just like people that represent different. Athletes or from different sports, and just see how it translates yeah. to, you know, whatever the FTP number that Swift spits out. Are you going to let David stand up? Because like, no, I think that no could be, standing. You that'd have be a to, game changer. You have to remain sitting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You have totally. to remain sitting. That's that's the that's the name of the game. Sweet. Yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah. Can't wait to uh, hear the
1: conclusions. Yeah, yeah, yeah it'll be fun. It'll week. be fun. I'll
2: share. I'll definitely share. Uh, well, that's it. That's all the questions we had. You can write in your questions. Wait, like wait,
1: a- wait. That's not all the questions we had, Nick. But that is all we have time for. Oh, yes,
2: yeah, sorry. It's all the questions I chose yeah. for, for, for our shortened episode. <laughs>
1: there were a couple of really good ones that you didn't ask us, so maybe we'll save them for next week. Okay, great. Okay, sounds okay, good. Great. Um, but it has ticked past 10 p.m., and we want to wake up to swim tomorrow. So thank you so much for listening. Quick reminder to go apply for the d- development team if you haven't yet, and that pre order is open tomorrow for our TTL track kits, which we're so excited about. The design is amazing. If you haven't seen them, Head to our Instagram page, and they'll, there's some pictures
0: on there. And they're also going to be up on the website. Our uh, web development guy, Danny, is working on them as we
1: Our speak. web development guy, and slash dog, dog sitter. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Danny is the king of slashes. That guy, is he is amazing. He can learn anything, and we would not have a website without him.
1: We're like, hey, Danny, can you watch our donkey for us? Oh, and also design our website. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Here's a drawing that I did on a Chipotle napkin. That's what I would like it to look like.
1: Yeah. <laughs> He also isn't he? He's a pretty
2: good biker too, like a downhill biker and a great swimmer.
1: Yeah, he's a good swimmer at sprinting. That's it. (laughs) Okay, okay.
0: (laughs) He can throw. He
1: can do a hot, hot twenty yards. Yeah. Got it, got it. He also doesn't listen to this podcast because he doesn't do travel.
2: Right, okay, right, fair.
1: Okay, thanks for listening, guys. And thank you to Nick for bringing all this podcast equipment to this shitty hotel. It's (laughs) fine. There's cookies in the corner. The entire podcast setup is sitting on your lap. It's not that hard. (laughs)
2: Ridiculous. Okay, thanks, everyone. Later. Bye.
1: Bye.